Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com. Good morning. Great to see everybody today. Our reading will be in Matthew chapter 27, reading verse 57. Sorry. I have to finish up the reading. I will say this is the word of the Lord. Please respond with thanks be to God. Again, it's Matthew chapter 27, beginning verse 57. When it was evening, there came a man from Arimathea named Joseph, who also was a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in clean linen shroud and laid it in his new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there sitting opposite the tomb. The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said, while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the end of the third day, lest the disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Now after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they have departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Good morning. Is, uh, is, it, is, is it on? Can we hear me? Okay, perfect. Uh, my name is uh, Camden. I, um, my wife, Carrie, uh, is teaching um, in King's Kids this morning. She's one of the few people that's heard me preach before, and when she heard I was preaching, she immediately volunteered to <laughs> teach. So, not sure if that's a good sign or not, but uh, we, were, uh, we were just saying this morning how um, we've been in the book of Matthew for uh, almost two years now, and uh, Carrie and I have been coming here for about a year and a half, so this is... This is all we've known at New King is going through the book of Matthew, and it's been so good. And uh, I'm so excited to uh, dig into um, 
one of the last portions uh, of this book. And uh, so let's, let's go to God in prayer and just ask Him to, to meet with us today. Lord, we, we thank You so much for uh, this day, another chance to celebrate uh, the power of Your resurrection, Lord, and all that that means for us. I pray that You would help us as we look into Your Word today, that, that You would teach us, that You would help us to take what is what we see from your word and, and to apply it deep within our hearts and lives, Lord, and that we would leave uh, here today changed. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So when we read through stories in the Bible, it's, it's so easy to, uh, you know, just kind of read through it, especially if we've heard the story before and uh, just go through the, something, an event that spanned days or weeks or maybe even years and just read it within a few minutes and, and move on to the next chapter. But when we read some of these stories in the Bible and stories of faith that took years and years to unravel, you think of, of uh, Abraham and the promise that he was going to have a son in his old age. And then for year after year after year, nothing and he had to maintain his faith through all of that time. And it's so easy to just to read over that quickly. So I know I've often done this with the resurrection. We talk about the crucifixion and then talk about the resurrection, move to the Great Commission. And we celebrate uh, Easter and, and the resurrection every year with, with joy and excitement uh, because we know what, ha what happened. We know the whole story. But for Jesus' followers at the time, it was a very, very different way that it unfolded. So let's take a minute to just enter into this story and into this place where Jesus' followers were at after, during his crucifixion and, and afterwards before his resurrection. Um, as we think back through the story of Jesus and Matthew, uh, his parents saw all sorts of miraculous things, right? They saw angels, um, they saw visions, there was the wise men came, the shepherds. Uh, but hardly anyone who knew Jesus even was there for any of that or knew about it. Most people growing up around Jesus' age, Jesus was just another guy. He was, a, he was a carpenter. And then one day, after he's 30 years old, without any support from the religious community, he says that he's the Messiah. And he goes around and starts calling his disciples to follow him. And he performs miracles and, and teaches like nothing they've ever heard. And they drop everything. They drop their entire livelihoods and they follow him for years. And uh, he, he performs miracles and, uh, and not just what they see, they also get revelation from God. You remember when Jesus came to his disciples and he said, um, who is it that, that people around are, are saying that I am? And of course he already knew, but but he wanted to ask his disciples the follow-up question. And they said, well, some people are saying, maybe you're Elijah, maybe you're John the Baptist or some prophet. And he said, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus made sure to point out to him, he said, Peter, that's not, you're not just going off of what you can see. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven has given you the faith to believe that I am the Messiah. So the disciples had a basis of faith. But what they thought about Jesus as the Messiah was different than what was actually going to happen. 
they thought that Jesus was coming and that he was going to free them from Roman oppression, from the uh, corrupt religious leaders of the day. And as we saw a little while back when Jesus goes and cleanses the temple, I think that was sort of a, a turning point in their mind. They saw that Jesus was starting to show some aggression that they really wished that he would. He went in and he overturned the tables, made a huge um, commotion, drove out the animals, and nothing happens to him. And then he walks away afterwards. And they say, wow, this is, things are, are really starting, we're starting to see the aggression that we want to see from Jesus. But then the unthinkable happens. There's another confrontation in the garden, and Peter pulls out his sword, and he's like, Jesus is on our side. We can't lose. This is, this is the beginning of something. And Jesus just surrenders, and he lays down his life. He's brutally crucified and, and put in a tomb, as we read this morning. You imagine the confusion and the, the despair that the disciples felt, and not just his disciples, disciples but... Uh, his followers as well. The crucifixion must have been the longest day of their life, but then that was followed by several more days of wondering, what just happened? How could this have happened? What, what are, what are we going to do now? What is going to happen to us? I can't imagine just what going back to my old life the way it was before, but. I don't, I don't see any path forward from here. Jesus is dead. The one that had the words of eternal life died. Where do you go from there? And maybe you're here today and you've never come to a place where you've put your faith and trust completely in Christ. And in Jesus, in the, the story of Jesus, is sort of a uh, an area of confusion and, and maybe a little discomfort. Or maybe you have trusted in Christ, but you find yourself at a place in life where what you know about Jesus and what you've kind of learned and experienced doesn't really seem to fit with where you're at in life and, and what you're going through right now. Maybe you, you think, you know, I, I come to church and, and we sing about his love, but I just... I'm just not feeling it. And, and we, we talk about his goodness, and I just, I don't feel like I'm experiencing that anymore. And we talk about his power, this great power, and, and I look at, at the news, I look at my life and, and the world around me, and I just, I just don't see it. We all come to these places where we need to have our faith renewed. Maybe you're feeling fairly good about your faith today but maybe you're about to head into something new in life, a new journey that God has for you. Or maybe we're just one phone call away from some news that is going to change our world, and we're going to need our faith to be increased. I often uh, think about that passage in, in Mark chapter 9 where uh, this man is coming to Jesus, and he wants healing for his son, and he says... Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. The, a statement of faith, but a confession of unbelief all wrapped into one. You ever kind of have a prayer like that? I do. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 13, 
Paul is writing to the believers uh, at the church in Corinth, some of which that are having trouble uh, wrestling with the thought of the resurrection. They'd been taught otherwise. And Paul tells them, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Christ's resurrection is central to our faith. It is the completion of the gospel. Without Christ, a resurrected Christ, our faith is in vain. Our preaching is in vain. But it's not in vain because Christ did rise from the grave. I love the, the song that says, uh, buried by the sons of men, but he was rescued by the Father's hand to reign as king forevermore. Lucius asked me if there was any songs that I thought would go with this sermon, and I couldn't think of any, and then a couple days later, after it was too late, they all started coming to me. So, <laughs> next time. Next time. When Jesus rose from the grave, there was no people there to celebrate. This was the first resurrection. It was actually happening, and there was no one there to celebrate. His own followers didn't believe that he was going to rise from the grave, and then after he did, most of them still wouldn't believe, as we're going to see today. But after Jesus arose, he begins to approach his followers in different ways. And if you just kind of read through it, it, it seems a little bit odd. He appears to one person, and then someone else comes, and they don't see him, and, and he kind of masks his appearance from some people for a while, and then he does reveal himself to them. And it, it seems kind of like an odd way to get the word out that he's resurrected. But it was anything but odd. It was extremely intentional because Jesus wanted to um, renew their faith after what they had just been through, and he also wanted to strengthen their faith for what was coming. You think just as Lord willing, we'll, we'll hear next week about the Great Commission where Jesus gives them this task to go into all the world, this group of maybe a few hundred followers, to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And right now, just a, a little bit before, they're all in hiding, thinking that Jesus is dead and that he's not coming back. So what does Jesus do to get his followers from this place of shaken faith to the point where their faith is renewed and it's strengthened for the work ahead. I think there's, uh, there's three lessons, at least, that we can learn from this passage that will help renew our faith and will help strengthen it for whatever God has um, ahead for us. Before I jump into those, I just want to say that faith is not something that, that we produce ourselves. I don't, I don't want anyone to leave here today thinking, Man, I, I don't have enough faith and I just need to, I just need to try harder and, and dig deeper and, and just come up with some more faith. Faith is a gift from God. The Bible is very clear that no, there's no amount of faith that you can have where you can start saying, yeah, I, you know, this is, this is really me. I have a, a five-step plan to build my own faith. Uh, faith is a gift from God, but we participate in that work that God does in our life to build our faith. So the first lesson I'd like to see is that if we're going to have our faith renewed and strengthened, we must return to his words. If we look in uh, Matthew 28 and verse 6, uh, the women have come to the tomb and they see that 
it's empty, the, the guards are gone, the tomb is, is, is empty, and uh, they, look at, they look inside, there's no one there, and this angel appears, and he says to them in Matthew 28 and verse 6, he is not here, for he is risen, and the next three words are very key, as he said. You think about Jesus' followers being so puzzled by this because it didn't match up with what they thought was going to happen. But Jesus had been very clear with them what was going to take place. This, as he said, goes back to Matthew 20 and verse 18, where Jesus told his disciples, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. And the angels are, are, are saying to them, guys, he tried to tell you it's the third day. Why are you so surprised by this? But they forgot his words. And this isn't just... Um, one maybe comment that Jesus has made to his disciples that, you know, maybe they hadn't had their coffee and it just kind of went in one ear and out the other. We see another example of this in Luke 24. Uh, a few of Jesus' disciples, um, at, in, the, in the middle of this story, I'll point out, is the Sabbath, which is significant because the, there had been so much commotion with all of these Jews in Jerusalem, right? And the crowd works up into this, what was almost going to become a riot, and Jesus is crucified. And during the day of preparation, Jesus is quickly put into this tomb because the Sabbath is coming. And then that day of the Sabbath, all of these Jews had to just find a place and stay put, alone with their thoughts, these things rolling over in their head over and over and then the day after that Sabbath, a group of his followers said, we are getting out of Jerusalem. We, we are out of here. And they start heading towards Emmaus. And Jesus comes up alongside them, and, and he masks his identity from them and says, hey, hey guys, why the long face? I said, man, did you just fall off the wagon yesterday or something? That There's only one thing going on in town that everyone is talking about, and it's that Jesus, who we hoped was the Messiah, and now he's dead. And, and women went to the tomb, and um, they, you know, they said that he was gone and that he had risen, but, but we don't know what to think anymore, and we're, we're headed out of town. And Jesus says to them in, in Luke 24 and verse 25, he says, O oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then he, Jesus goes and walks them through the Old Testament, goes back to, maybe went back to Abraham and, and the sacrificial lamb and in the story of Isaac, and God will provide himself a lamb, and the, the whole sacrificial system of, of offering lambs, and then going through the prophets, and uh, they will look upon him whom they have pierced. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter, yet he opened not his mouth. So guys, this wasn't just, just one comment that someone made. This is, you can see this throughout the whole scripture, that the Messiah must be crucified. And they start to say, hmm, there's something about this guy, but we just can't quite put our finger on what it is. 
and then a little more time with Jesus, they finally realize who it is. And in verse 32, they say, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? They as well needed to be reminded to return to his words. When was the last time that God's word burned within us and God did a, a work, a faith-building work inside us through his words? Do we approach the Bible looking for that? with that sense of, of urgency, um, the, whatever we're going through, the seriousness of that situation should dictate the seriousness to which we return to his words and look for a word from him. I don't know if maybe you saw the story recently, I think it was in May, um, about uh, a plane that was flying along the, the coast of Florida and the pilot had... Um, uh, a medical emergency, he passed out, and he collapsed right on top of the controls, and the plane starts going um, into a dive. And this wasn't a commercial airliner, this was, uh, there was just one pilot on the plane, it was a Cessna caravan, so a decent-sized airplane, but one of the passengers, like something out of a movie, grabs the, the pilot, moves him off to the side, stabilizes the airplane, puts on the headset, and starts talking to uh, the air traffic controllers. And uh, what he was saying to them was not very confident. They said, where are you? Where, which direction are you headed? And he said, I don't know. I have no clue. And the answer to all of their questions was, I don't know. I have no clue. And they talk him through landing the airplane with no experience before. And it was, it's an incredible story. But you think about someone hanging on the every words of someone. When you are up there controlling an airplane and you have no idea what you're doing and all you have is a voice in your ear giving you instructions, can you imagine the, the clarity and the attention that you have, right? A level at which any uh, kindergarten teacher like my wife would just long to have. Um, and that's the, the sort of urgency and clarity that we need to seek from God's Word in order to have our faith renewed and strengthened. Um, I know this was, this was really pivotal for me uh, in my life. Um, I grew up going to church, and uh, I got saved at, at a very young age, maybe five or six years old. Um, and then as I got into my teenage years, as, as can often happen, I I started to reevaluate everything that I just kind of taken on face value because that's, that's what I grew up hearing. I remember I met a, um, a Mormon kid and um, he was convinced of his faith that he had grown up in and I was convinced of mine and I began to think like, did I just, is everyone that just grows up in their church just kind of convinced of it because that's what they've heard? And I, I really was struggling with some things at the time and um, and wasn't quite sure to go, where to go for the answers, and, and I was challenged um, it, through something separately to just go to God's Word and let that be the answer. And so I, I didn't really know where to start, so I probably wouldn't do this now, but I started right in Genesis 1-1 and just started reading. And over the next couple days, I just read for hours and hours, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and when I got into the book of Joshua, 
God really started to do something in my heart. And I won't take time to do it today, but if you haven't read the last part of the book of Joshua, it's so powerful. And Joshua reminds them of all the things that God has brought them through and asks them, has God ever let you down? Has he ever broken a promise? And then he ends with that statement of faith. Hey, choose this day who you're going to serve, but for, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And God used that. Just, just reading God's word started to do a work in my heart because I was coming, to, coming back to his words and looking at it, trying to get something to renew my faith. And God will do that for, for any one of us if we come to his words. We need to read his promises. We need to read about his attributes. We need to meditate and memorize God's word. Could you imagine if, if the disciples' memory verse that they had jotted down, you imagine as you're walking with Jesus and everything that Jesus says is truth and it is literally the word of God and you're writing it down and they wrote down, all right, he is going to Jerusalem, he is going to be crucified, and on the third day he'll rise again. All right, that's going to be my memory verse for the week. Things would have turned out very differently, wouldn't they have? So we need to, we need to return to his words. Uh, in, in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, it says, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of God. If our faith is going to be renewed and strengthened, we must return to his words. And secondly, I see that we must obey even when we don't understand. Now, this isn't something to necessarily generalize to all things in life. Uh, if you get a phone call about your car's warranty is expiring and they ask for your bank account number, that is, that's not a situation where you should obey when you don't understand. But when it comes to, to faith in God, we often are going to be asked to obey when we don't understand. Hebrews 11 verse 1 tells us that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And as you read through that passage of, of faith in Hebrews 11, there's so many examples of people who were asked to obey without seeing the full picture. And they had to take that step of faith before, um, before their, their faith would be um, strengthened and renewed. We see that in this passage, in verse uh, number 7. Mary and, and the other women had just come to the tomb, and all of a sudden, Jesus isn't there, and there's an angel, but they haven't seen Jesus yet. All they've seen is, is this empty tomb, and before they're ab able to see Jesus, the angel says in verse 7, then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. Behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. So before they had any visual confirmation that Jesus had rose from the dead, they're given a task to go tell the disciples. And that was not necessarily an easy task because as you can see, they go back to the disciples and tell them the message that, hey, Jesus will meet you in Galilee. He's risen from the grave. And Peter and John, only Peter and John, run back to the grave site to see, and they see that Jesus isn't there. And, and maybe John starts to believe a little bit, or that's what he tells us. <laughs> but Peter, it says, he wondered at these things, and then, and then he left without having that faith. 
And we're often called, without the whole picture, without all the evidence, to obey when we don't understand. If we wait to obey until we understand, we will miss out on the supernatural. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20 It says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. I want the abundantly above all that we could ask or think, but I also want to understand all of it first before I commit to it. And those two things are not going to work together. If we're going to see abundantly above what we could ask or think, we are going to have to take a step of faith in a direction where we don't see everything that's going to be ahead. There's a great example of this in Luke chapter 5. In the very early stages of Jesus' ministry and calling his disciples, and some of his disciples, you know, are, are fishermen, and they've gone out, and they have fished all night, and they have caught nothing, and they come back exhausted, nothing to bring to the market to, to make some money to bring back to their families. And Jesus, who is a carpenter and not a fisherman, tells them, hey guys, have you tried, I know you've come all the way back in now, but have you tried casting the nets on the other side of the boat? You ever had someone who had no clue what they were doing try to explain something like that to you? And you're like, Jesus, look, we were out there where the fish are, now we're back, and yes, we've been throwing the nets on this side, the boat is this big, if the fish are over there, and over, it's not going to make any difference. <laughs> But Peter says, Peter answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And we know what happens there. The nets fill up with more fish than they would have ever caught in a night of fishing. But more importantly than that, the disciples were filled with faith from that experience. You know, sometimes this may be something as simple as just staying faithful through an uncertain situation. Sometimes it's, it's not as, as much of a big decision as it may be day by day, staying faithful, year by year, staying faithful through situations that, that we may not like or we may not understand. But it may be taking the next step of faith in a direction that's uncomfortable for us and we don't understand what God's gonna do and that can be scary but we have to take that first step and obey when we don't understand. And lastly, we need to seek Jesus. This is really simple, and it comes from from verse number five. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. Peter and they went and, and told the rest of his followers that, that Jesus has risen, and, and Peter and John come running, running back to the tomb, and when they get there, there's no more angel. That was the one sort of thing that they had seen that, that maybe the angel could convince them. Nope, the angel's gone. There's nothing but an empty tomb there. Not really proof that someone has come back from the dead. And Peter and John leave, but Mary doesn't. She stays there. And in John, um, in John chapter 20, we read that after the, Peter and John had left, Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. 
And as she wept, she stopped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain. You think Peter and John, Jesus' disciples that go on to be such a big part of starting the church, they were standing right there a minute ago, and they looked in the tomb, and Peter went into the tomb, and they saw nothing. And Mary, a few minutes later, looks into the tomb and sees these angels because she continued to seek Jesus. And a minute later, Jesus comes again, hiding his appearance from her, and she thinks that, that maybe he's the gardener, and she unashamedly asks, where is he? Where is he? And then Jesus reveals himself to her, but only after she continued to seek Jesus. You know, when we start to seek Jesus, we can see him in the world all around us. Um, I know this, this may not resonate with everyone, but um, as an example of this that came to my mind this past week was um, a few years ago, um, there was a, a documentary on one of the uh, streaming services, and it was World War II in color. Did anyone else see that? Oh man, it was so good. Uh, that is just, it may not resonate with everyone, it was right up my alley. And uh, I began to, to watch this, this uh, series, and they went over kind of the whole course of, of World War II and added you know, the footage in there. And I, as I had never seen before, they start talking, especially at the beginning of the war, how the, the bad guys, everything is going their way, right? They're just cruising through Europe. And then things start to happen, one after the other. And all of the experts in their army are, say that they should do something. And then all of a sudden, the, the, the Nazi command says, no, we're going to do something completely different. And it turns out to be disastrous, and it turns the, the tide of the war. And I was thinking, you know what? That's just like the deceiving spirit that was sent to the king to tell him to do something according to God's plan. And then it goes a little bit further, and there's another crucial moment, and all of a sudden, the weather changes. And I'm like, man, guys, do you see what's going on here? God is just completely turning the tide of the war when all seems lost to those that were a part of it. And it's hard to see that in the moment. And it's very easy to just, to just miss and to be reliant on ourself and just think, oh, look, look at how smart we were. Look at, look at what good luck we had. But when we start to look for Jesus, we will see him at work in the world around us. And it, day by day, it will increase our faith. Maybe you're here today and you've never placed your faith in Christ, but you're, you are seeking and you're, you're trying to understand. The ironic thing about us seeking Christ is that left to ourselves, none of us ever would. So then how it, then is it that, that some people do begin to seek Christ? In Romans 3 and verse 10 says, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understand, no one seeks for God. But in John chapter 6, verse 44, Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. If you begin to start seeking and, and thinking about Christ, it's because he is beginning to draw you to himself. 
Lean into that today. Lean into that and experience the power of his resurrection. And if you have placed your faith in Christ, Jesus tells us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto us. It's so easy to get this backwards, isn't it? And to just spend so much of our time and energy chasing after the things that that we want, that we think would be best for our life, and then asking God to help us get the things that we want instead of seeking him first and allowing him to fill in the rest of the picture. Our faith is, is a relational faith. Sometimes we do have to obey when we don't understand, but our faith is not a blind faith. God says, come, let us reason together. He says, come and learn about me. Our faith is, is a relational faith. And as our relationship with Christ begins to grow, we will see him at work in our life. We will see his hand working in the world around us, and our faith will continue and continue to grow. So I'll wrap up by saying that if your faith, like mine, is, is far from incomplete, we're, we're in good company. Jesus' followers were in the exact same place. But I hope that this can be a reminder to us of the power of the resurrection, that it's still at work in our life, and that God wants to renew our faith and strengthen it for the work that he has ahead for us. But we have to return to his words. Sometimes we're going to have to obey when we don't understand, and we must seek him day in, day out, every day of our lives. So let me pray for us that that we'll do just that. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you so much that we can come here today and we can celebrate the resurrection, that we can rejoice in the power and the, the defeat of death and sin and all of the things that plague us, Lord. Thank you so much for that. I pray that you would work in us today, that you would strengthen our faith, that you would renew it, Lord, that you would help us to participate in the work that you are doing in our lives, Lord, that you may be glorified. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.